book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 7. When you got it, say so. The word of the Lord says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says, He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the keys of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my word to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we thank you so much for your grace, for your love for your mercy, Lord God, that endureth forever. God, our prayer today is that you would speak to our hearts. God, that you would illuminate our soul. And Lord, that you would cause us to be changed by your word, challenged by your truth, Lord God. And that when we leave this place, that we would live according to what your word demands of us. We thank you, Lord, because your grace is sufficient. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, may be seated in the presence of the Lord. As we have been dealing with this series on the seven churches in the book of Revelation, we took a pause because we had our resurrection weekend and I wanted to come back to this. I also shared the last Sunday that we were in our other facility, our older facility. Amen. Y'all excited about the new place? I'm excited. Still, still getting used to it. You know, we know it's home, but still getting used to it. Glory to God. But when I, when I read this scripture here and I was preparing this message two weeks ago or three weeks ago um, and I was sitting down, I was like, wow, what a timely word for us as a church. As God is speaking to the church of Philadelphia because of what God is communicating unto the church. And so as we deal with this topic, the title of this message and dealing with this church is a faith-filled church. When you look at this church, this is a church that is filled with faith, a church that has a real desire and, 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 and accommodation from God. God communicates and says some good things to them. There's two churches out of seven that they're not rebuked, and this is the second one. They don't receive any rebuke. They receive encouragement, and God communicates and says, I know where you're at, and it's good for us to know that God knows where we're at. It's good for us to know that God not only knows where we are, but he knows what we're doing. He knows what's going on. He knows what we're serving, how we're serving, and he's interested in that. And I believe that for us as Christians, the one thing that everyone in this place should be living for, everybody in this place should be living for, is to hear those wonderful words, well done, good, and faithful servant. If you call yourself a Christian, if I call myself a Christian, I should be living for one thing, and that is to hear Jesus say that. You want to know why that's so important? Because if I don't hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, I will hear something else. 
If I don't hear, well done, good and faithful servant, Jesus communicates clearly that he is going to communicate something else. Part from me, you worker of iniquity. And so the desire for every child of God should be to hear those words that come from Jesus affirming us. When we look at this portion of scripture here in this church, we find that Jesus communicates some things about himself. And this was a church that was what was a doorway in the east. It was a transitional city. A city where people had to go through in order to go and, and, and make different trades and things of that nature. It was a great place just in the natural. And I want you to realize that and it's important for us to understand that as well because sometimes we negate the reality that we just feel like, well, you know, I'm just here naturally. This is just by coincidence. I'm just in this place and, and we don't give God the glory that he's worthy of and realize that even in our natural circumstances, natural situations, God is still sovereignly orchestrating things and bringing us into positions where we are in order for him to be glorified and so in this here this city is there and and and, and I want you to realize there's a, there's a saying that we've heard before and it's that the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree usually usually if we're real about it we're using that in a negative context right oh you just like so-and-so if we don't like so-and-so you just like so-and-so Oh, that's just like them. Fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. As a Christian, it's, a saying, it's, it's good. And that is a good saying because it's true. The fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. If you're really of Jesus, the fruit is going to come forth. If you're really his, the fruit is going to manifest. And so Jesus is speaking to this church and communicating to them that the fruit that we bear is a direct reflection of the source of our lives and the reality of the proof of our salvation. I want you to understand something. We do not earn our salvation. Say that with me. We do not earn our salvation. There's a whole lot of different folks in, that, that walk this earth today, and they feel they, they're going to earn their salvation. What do you mean by that? What I mean by this, they're not really even concerned, a lot of folk, about eternity. They could really care less about all that. That's the most important thing that we should be concerned about. But what many people do, even Christian folk, we have a mindset, well, hopefully I would do enough good works in order to outdo the bad ones. Well, hopefully I'll do enough good things in this earth. As long as I'm a good person, then I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be all right. How can God send a good person to hell? Let me help you to understand something. There is no one good except God. I know some folk didn't like to hear that. Nobody in here, just the people on the internet that will hear this message, right? Glory to God. What do you mean, Bishop? There are some good people. You can do good stuff. That doesn't make you good by God's standards. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags in comparison to him. And so if we are not washed in the blood of Jesus, if we are not born again by the spirit of God, if that's not the case, then I don't care how good you are, how many good things you do for how many people. I don't know how many, I don't care how many smiles you put on how many people's faces. It does not make a difference. We're never going to be good enough. And now, and, and it's important for us to realize, we don't earn our salvation, but as Christians, we do work out our salvation. As Christians, we do work it out. And when Jesus, again, he's got the microscope on the churches, and he's looking at them, and he's, and, and he's pointing out all of these things, and he's showing them, okay, are you working out your salvation? Are you working out that thing which has been given to you? And some churches rebuke, other churches encourage, and so this church is being encouraged because of what they're doing. As Christians, I want you to understand this. We should never become overly confident in our own good works. Hear that. Let me say it again. As Christians, we should never become overly confident in our own good works. 
We should never become overly confident of our perfection in our walk. We should never become overly confident in the favor that is seemingly upon our lives, lest we become overly confident in ourselves rather than in the finished work of Christ on the cross and the power of his spirit that is in us, allowing us to walk in perfection, allowing us to do good works, allowing us to be all that he's called us to be. We as Christians need to be careful of that. We need to make sure that we don't begin to look at ourselves and say, man, you're a pretty good dude. You, you, you're all right by my, by my standards. Hold on a second. Don't get so excited about yourself. What is that? What you're saying, Bishop? So I should walk around my head down. Oh, you know, I'm no good. And Come on, man, wake up. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to do is shake y'all up, you know, that, that might be on that little side over here looking at everybody else saying, well, you know, I'm better than him. I'm better than her. I'm doing all right. You know, they got, they got to grow. I'm good to go. No. That, that's what I'm trying to do. Help you to understand that, that we get to that place where we start looking around at everybody else. Be like, well, what are they doing? What is she doing? What is he doing? Forget about all that. What's Jesus doing? Focused upon, upon him. Our ability to be or do anything good for God is the grace of God operating in us. And it's funny because as we pray today, that has been like the theme in my spirit. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. And I just want to encourage you, and, and, and this, this is probably, you know, I, I don't know, this will be a really encouraging message. I'm hoping, glory to God. I don't know, as, as I was preparing the message, I'm like, how do you take an encouraging message to a church and, and, and just and, and see it from such a different place? That's just me. I'm sorry. But anyway. I want to encourage you, before I say anything else about this church, no matter where you are, no matter what you are facing, no matter what you are going through, the grace of God is sufficient. You may feel weak right now, his grace is sufficient. You may feel like you don't have the answers, his grace is sufficient. You may feel like you don't know what the next step is, his grace is sufficient. The next step, seek his face. The answer, he is. That's all you got to know. So be encouraged. His grace is sufficient. Everything that we're able to do, anything good, is because of his grace. Amen? Amen. Say this with me. The quality of our fruit is solely a validation of our root. When Jesus communicates to this church, and you look down with me at verse 7, and verse, verse 7 there, he says, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who holds the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, shuts and no one opens. Jesus reveals himself to this church and he gives them three specific things that he communicates to them. He shows them first that he is holy. He shows them secondly that he is true. He shows them thirdly that he is the one who holds the key of David. And so remember I said that this is a church that does not get rebuked. This is a church that Jesus literally comes by, pats them on the back, and says, you guys are doing a good job. I know your works. He gives them a pat on the back. He lets them know that you guys are doing the right thing. Continue on in that. But when he reveals himself unto them, what he's communicating to them and letting them know, he's saying, listen, I am the one who is holy. In other words, I am the source of your holiness. Don't get prideful. Hear me now. I am the source of all of your righteousness, all of your good deeds. I am the source of those things. I am the reason why you are able to be that. Because I'm holy, separated from sin, so you are able to be holy. Amen. Amen. Secondly, he communicates, he said, I am true. He who is true. I love this definition of this word true. It is a long definition, and you're going to have to stick with me on this one. But it is the Greek word. I looked it up, and it is the Greek word alethinos. 
Alethinos. And what it means is, it means that which has not only the name and resemblance, but the real nature corresponding to the name. In every respect, corresponding to the idea signified by the name, real, true, genuine. I'm going to read it again. It is that which has not only the name and resemblance. See, because some of us, we have the name and resemblance. We call ourselves Christians. We do some stuff that Christians do. Have the name and the resemblance. Jesus says, I am the truth. I, I am he who is true. Not just the name, not just the resemblance, but the real nature corresponding to the name. So what that name means, he is. Everything he communicates. I love when you go on further into this. It says that this word means the opposite of what is fictitious. He's true. He is the opposite of what is defective. Glory to God. He is the opposite of what is frail. So that means he's strong. He is the opposite of what is uncertain. He is the source of our validity as Christians. Everything that this church is, everything that, 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 that the church of Philadelphia is declared to be by Christ is because he is it first. And anything that we are, the same thing. And the last one he says, he says he is the one who holds the keys of David. The keys of David, he says, I'm the one that opens and no one shuts. I'm the one that shuts and no one opens. And so he's communicating to them that you have this open door. And we'll get into that in the next verse here. He talks to them about them having this open door right before them. And what he wants them to understand is I'm the one that opened the door, not you. See, sometimes we get upset when doors don't open in our lives. Just know who holds the key. She can clap, glory to God. She clap for everybody else who didn't get it right. Who holds the key? Jesus. I'm the one who holds the key of David. I open, no one can shut. We get mad. Sometimes we're wrestling, right? Just mad, just angry. I want, I want that. I want that position. I want that job. I want that house. I want that car. All these wants we have, glory to God. Can we just pause? Do I need that? We'd stop wrestling a lot if we de de decided between those things. Do I really need those things? But I want, I want, I want. And we get upset because we don't get it. But Jesus says, look, I'm the one that holds the key. I open, no one shuts. I shut, no one opens. And so Jesus communicates to them that he is the source of their, their, their authority. Jesus encourages them and gently reminds them of him being the source of all they are. Second thing, repeat this after me. Say, even, say, even when we are not rebuked, we should always be open to being challenged. This is good. I love it. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. Glory to God. Look, even when we are not rebuked, we should always be open to being challenged. You know who's the hardest person to talk to? <laughs> no. I'm not going to name a name, glory to God. It's just a character. It's the person who you ain't got nothing to say bad to, but you want to call them higher. That's a hard person to talk to. Did you come to them? I have nothing bad to say to you. Doing good. You know, everything is going well. But I need you to come higher. You know what they usually say? I'm good right where I'm at. You, you, you ain't got nothing bad to say to me, so I must be okay. <laughs> okay. 
That's the worst mindset for us as Christians. Well, well, check it out. I got my checklist, right? Praise the Lord. I read my Bible. Have my time in prayer. I come to church. I support things. I give. I do everything I'm supposed to do. I'm good. Talk to people about Jesus once in a while. I'm good. You're the hardest person to talk to. Because you know what? You feel like I'm doing it already. I'm okay. Jesus says, come on higher. When he communicates to this church, and we'll continue looking on in verse 8, has, verse eight, he says this. He said, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. communicates to them the first thing he says he doesn't give them any rebuke he says to them I know your works you're good everything is okay to the degree because he knew their works he says to them that he opens a door for them I know your works I know where you're at I know what you're doing so I'm saying I'm opening a door for you I'm making opportunity for you I'm making a way for you. This is what he communicates to them. I want you to notice something, that he does this because of some things. He does it because of their response to his word, their response to his work of salvation in them. He does this because of some stuff. Look what he says to them. He says, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut for you. When he's saying for you, he's saying because of these things. Because of these things, these doors have opened. Because of these things, these and, and now mind you, these things are only products of my grace. But because of these things being evident in you, I've opened these doors before you. I haven't just opened these doors just because, but there's some things. He tells them, first of all, for you have little strength. You have little strength. When you look up that word little strength, and when, and when I'm reading and studying, you know, people are communicating, talking about a small church, big church. This scripture never talks about the size of a church. Never says anything about the size of a church. You know what it says? It says they have little strength. You know what the word strength is? It is a word dunamis. So you know what that means to me? When Jesus communicates to his disciples and he says to them that you are to wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power. You know what that word power was? Same word, dunamis. Wait until you are endued with power. So what does that communicate to us? What can we understand? He's saying you have little strength. This is what's beautiful. Jesus didn't say you have no dunamis. <laughs> this is important. If Jesus says, you have no dunamis, you know what he's saying? He's saying, you have none of me. You have no supernatural in me. Uh, you, you, you have no supernatural in you. Because dunamis is a supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He says to them, you have little dunamis. You have a small amount. There is something in you. But what I can say clearly is that this is obviously a church that is not having a superabundance of signs and wonders and things that are drawing people to them. This is not a church that is overflowing with the gifts of the Spirit like Corinth was. This is a different church. A church that doesn't have all of this stuff going on and Jesus is pleased with them. That should encourage us, right? Because we want the real move of the Spirit of God. We're not looking for anything except God to do what he wants to do. And what God says, you have little dunamis, so you have some of my supernatural power. He tells him, secondly, you have kept my word. 
What you have done is you have heard what I've communicated. You have obeyed my word. You have hid my word in your heart that you wouldn't sit against me. You've obeyed what I've communicated. And again, what God is saying is, this is by my grace. You have this dunamis in you. You have this ability to keep my word. It's by my grace. And he goes on, he says, you have not denied my name. And so these three things, he says, because of these three things, I've opened this door before you. Now, what what he's saying, you haven't denied my name. You haven't dishonored my name. People have come at you. And as we'll look further down in in this chapter, we'll see. This was a church just like any other church in that region in those days. Any other church in that region in those days is going to be a church that experienced some level of persecution. He says it to them in the next verse that those are of the synagogue of Satan. Remember we talked about them earlier. Those are the people who were Jewish, right? Those are the people who were denying Jesus. In the midst of those people, what happens? They don't deny the name of Jesus. They don't renege. They don't say, you know what, well, I don't know, you know, if Jesus is really the right way. You know, maybe Jesus is a way. No, they are communicating and saying there is one way. Jesus Christ has been given the name above all names. We bow to him. We worship him. We seek him and him alone. That's what he communicates to them. He lets them know, listen, you have done these things. You have little dunamis. You have the supernatural in you, the power of my spirit that has caused you to be born again. You have those things in your favor. You've kept my word, you've obeyed. And so he says these things to them and lets them know this. The next thing that we find here, look down with me again at verse 9. He said, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet to know that I have loved you. Now, before I go to deal with this verse, I want to talk about one thing, and it is this open door. Because when we talk about open doors, I want you to realize something. When you look at your Bible, and your Bible speaks of open doors, you can look at these, you can write these verses down, and you will see that whenever the Apostle Paul is speaking about open doors, he's talking about one thing, and that is ministry. That is the sharing of the gospel. When he is communicating open doors, he is talking about doors of opportunity for him to share the gospel. Give you the scriptures. The book of Acts chapter 14 and verse 27. I'm going to say these fast. Acts chapter 14 verse 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 19. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 19. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. And the book of Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3. Book of Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3, all of these speak where Paul is saying doors of opportunity have opened or asking for them to pray for the doors to open. And what he is saying to them, he is saying, I want a door of ministry to open. So here's what I want you to understand because I think that this is important. Whenever God begins to open doors for you, it's not just for you to make more money. It's not just for you to make more friends. It's not just for you to have more influence. It's for you to be able to minister. I got one amen so that I have one person who agrees with me. Let me say it again. That's two amens. Glory to God. Two people. That's three amens. So I got a few more amens I need to get before I can move on from this point. It is important for us to grasp this reality. You ain't got to say amen. I'm not going to wait for all that. But seriously, though, it is important for us to grasp this reality. When God opens doors, it's not just for your comfort. It's for his witness. It's not just for you to feel better about yourself, better about your situation. It is so that way you can be a person who influences with the gospel. A person who is able to communicate. God opens those doors and that way we are able to be better communicators of the gospel and opportunity. And what he's saying to this church, and he's saying this to Faith Dome, he's saying, listen, I've opened a door for you. Here's an opportunity for ministry. I got three amens like, uh uh-huh, and all that, right? Glory to God. Let's say it again. 
to faith dome. This is what he is saying. He is saying, I have opened a door for ministry for you. I've made a way for you to be able to minister more effectively, to minister more freely, to do more for the sake of the kingdom and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what he communicates to us. That's the reason why I said this is a timely word because God has opened a door. We couldn't open this door here. We couldn't make this thing happen, but God has made a way for what? So that way we can bring more people into the kingdom of God. So that way we can be a better light in the midst of our city so we can shine brighter in the midst of a dark world and it's not just about a building but for me when you see the building what God is saying is look my hand is on you I'm opening a bigger door making a bigger place for what so you can be a witness praise the Lord we got it glory to God only took me to yell for three minutes straight hallelujah now I know how to get an amen brother can we just give the Lord a hand of praise Baron and Carla with us today I miss you guys, man. I love y'all. Hallelujah. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Praise Jesus. They're coming back. That's prophetic. No, I'm just joking. I'm joking. Hallelujah. Jesus. He says he's opened a door for us. He's made an opportunity for us. He says it to this church. I've opened this door. I've made it more. I've made it clear so that way you can be out there and you can minister as light in the midst of a dark world. Then he communicates to them and he tells them, those who are the synagogue of Satan, and this is crazy because I know that some people, you know, we get real religious. We're like, hold on a second. Did Jesus just say he's going to have someone worshiping at someone else's feet? Get nervous, right? He's supposed to worship man. He didn't say worship them. He said worship at their feet. He didn't say worship them. He said worship at their feet. So they'd be bowing down, not to them, by them. Amen. We know, I mean, we all know that Jesus is not going to share worship. Hello? God shares his glory with no man. What he is saying is, you know what's going to happen? Those people, you should be encouraged by this. You know those people that you're trying to be witnesses to and they're rejecting you? You know those people that you're trying to be a light to, that you're trying to share the gospel with? There is going to come a day, whether it is here on this earth or in heaven, and I pray for their sake, it is here on this earth, that they will bow to Jesus and they will acknowledge that Jesus loves you and that you were communicating his word. The Bible clearly says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Whether it is here in this earth or it is in heaven, it's going to happen. Whether you want to or not, it is going to happen. Jesus is Lord. And so he encourages them. He says, continue on doing what you are doing. Continuing on to read here in verse 10. It says, because you have kept my commandment to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth because you have kept my commandment to persevere now understand this he is saying to them that they have that they that they have kept his commandment to persevere you don't need to keep a commandment to persevere unless things are rough you don't need a commandment to persevere unless things are, are, are at a place where you could easily quit you don't need, you know, Pastor Rob is a track coach. He gave you that awesome analogy about, the, you know, running that four, the 400 meter, right? That's what it is. He gave you the awesome, I don't remember the whole analogy. It was just amazing. I was like, glory to God. I'm not even going to try to remember that because that was just too awesome. But, but listen, he gives you this analogy, right? And he breaks it down for you. There's no need for a coach to sit there and be like, run harder. If you're whooping everybody in the race, it's like, just keep on, just go. You're good, right? But when someone's catching ground on you, right, yo, run, run, telling you to move. You know, you're playing basketball or whatever the case is, and you're dribbling down there like, you know, you Michael Jordan, and you come, oh, what's up? And then someone just comes by, pass out the whoop, you know. Someone's yelling, yo, watch out, you know. <laughs> I mean, seriously, 
You don't need someone telling you to, to continue harder and press hard. You don't need that commandment if everything is smooth sailing. Jesus is saying, because you have kept my commandment to persevere. Because you have kept my commandment to continue strong. Because you have kept my commandment to do. Because, in other words, you have continued to fight this good fight. Because you've done that. I'm going to keep you from this hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole earth to test them. I'm not going to get into the whole doctrinal argument about this particular verse. I want to let you know something. He is communicating to this church about something that is going to occur. He doesn't communicate this to every church. He communicates this to this church. And he tells them that there is going to be a testing that is going to test the whole world. And he's going to keep them from that. So what that gives us to understand is that any church that aligns with walking and perseverance, they are going to be kept from certain things that are going to come upon the world. Amen. That is important for us to realize. That as we persevere. But here's the thing. Again, we see the importance of biblical perseverance under trial. Because when we persevere through hardship, when we persevere through difficulty, and we hold fast to the word of God, and we don't deny the name, name of Jesus, and we continue to move forward, what it does is it opens up other freedoms. And I'll say it like this. Some of us don't want to fight battles today but we, because we don't realize that the battles we fight today will release us from battles tomorrow. Some of us say, man, I don't want to fight that fight today. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to move to another place. I'm going to get another job. I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to fight that fight today. And you know what you do? You set yourself up for battles tomorrow that you're going to have to fight. But if you just buckle down and stand firm upon the word and fight that fight today, tomorrow you're not going to have to fight that demon. Tomorrow you will overcome. Why? Because he declares it in his word. So we have to have that heart that says, you know what, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give in to the pressure. I'm not going to give in to the circumstance. I'm not going to give in to the situation. What we need to do is what? Hold fast to the word of God. What we need to do is walk in the dunamis, whether it's great or little. Walk in the supernatural power of God that has been afforded to us. And we need to hold fast to the word and maintain our fidelity to the name of Jesus. He goes on to communicate to this church as he's encouraging them. He tells them in verse 11, he says, behold, I am coming quickly. Now, it's amazing because this is like almost 2,000 years old, and he said, behold, I'm coming quickly. We know like a day is like 1,000 years to the Lord. 1,000 years is like a day. So when Jesus said, I'm coming quickly, it's been like two days. It, it'll get there, right? Praise the Lord. It's like two days. I'm coming quickly. It's been, it's, for, on his, you see, when, when you're looking at time from his perspective, it's only been a minute. Hello? I'm coming quickly. He's not late. He wants to see people saved. That's what he declares in his word. He wants to see those come to repentance. He doesn't will that anyone perish. He says to them, I'm coming quickly. Not to judge. He's, he's encouraging them. He tells them this, hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Now I looked this up because you know this, this you know this this messed me up. I'm like, well, what is he talking about? Take my crown. Like someone can take my crown. Yeah, that's like someone can take your crown. That's exactly what he said. This, this again, this is red letters if you got the right Bible, right? 
So that means he's not Jason. Jesus says, someone take your crown. Hold on a second. What are, what are we talking about here? Well, when you look at this word crown, you look it up, and it's, it's used 18 times in the New Testament. Look it up. 18 times it's used in the New Testament. Nine of those times, it refers to believers' crowns. It refers to the crown that believers receive. When you look at these here, and we're going to go through them together, so get your Bible ready. We're going to do this in fast form, glory to God. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25. You got to say amen. We'll start in verse 24. It says, do you not know? That those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. So the first thing that we see when, the, when this crown is mentioned in Scripture in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is speaking about this crown, and he says this. And this word imperishable, it encompasses every other crown that we'll look at. Because every crown that any believer is going to have is going to be imperishable. It's not perishing, not fading away. It is something that is forever. And the Apostle Paul tells his readers who are the church, run in such a way that you will win. Run because you're not running for a perishable crown. In other words, you're not running for a fat 401k when you retire. Hello? You're not running to just pay off the debt in your house. You're not running just to have the nicest car that anyone has on your block. You're not just running for people to talk good about you. You are running for a crown that is imperishable, a crown that does not fade away. He says run in a manner like you're the only one that's running this race. Don't worry about them to the left. Don't worry about them to the right. Run focused on Jesus. He goes on to communicate in, 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 in 2 Thessalonians. Please turn there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19. Did I say, I said 2 Thessalonians? I think I meant 1 Thessalonians. I'm sorry. I bet, I, bet, I, bet, I, I did. I got 1 Thessalonians written here. I said I have 2 Timothy. My bad. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19. We got it? Say amen. amen. The apostle Paul says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. And so the apostle Paul is saying, man, you are our crown of rejoicing. When we get up to heaven, that is, that is part of the imperishable crown. It is rejoicing because we see you in heaven. Because we, I preached to you week after week, looked in your eyes, communicated to you. I shared with you. I sat down. I counseled you. And at the end of it all, I get to see you in glory. That is a crown of rejoicing. 
Every believer, every person you share the gospel with, every person you disciple, yes, I said you disciple, because it is not just our responsibility to disciple. You call yourself a disciple? You say you're a disciple of Jesus? Well, if you're a disciple of Jesus, that means that you should be discipling someone else. You cannot be a disciple without discipling. Amen, somebody? And so if you're a disciple of Christ, that means that you should be discipling someone. It doesn't mean you need to have a church full of people to disciple, but you should be discipling someone. At minimum, you should be discipling your family. At minimum. You are the crown of rejoicing. And so every believer has this rejoice, this crown of rejoicing that is imperishable. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, please. You got to say amen. Start in verse 6. It says, for I am already, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. In other words, the apostle Paul is recognizing that his life is coming to an end. He realized, he's not, and you know what, he's not depressed. Some folk, you know, they're, they're, they find out they're going to die, they get depressed right away. Oh, man. I'm going to die. Hold on a second. You get to meet Jesus. When you pass across this line from here into eternity. I know you don't want to leave people behind. I got that. But Paul is saying, my life is already being poured out as a drink offering. My departure is at hand. Verse 7 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Everybody that calls themselves a Christian, we should all be looking forward to the day that we meet Jesus. Everyone who calls himself a Christian should be looking forward to that day when we step into eternity, into the glory of glories, and we're able to rejoice with him forever. There is a crown of righteousness that is laid up for all of us. Go on to the, to the book of James, please, chapter 1. book of James chapter 1 and verse 12 when you got it say amen and James says blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him so again he talks about this crown that is imperishable. He talks about this crown of rejoicing, this crown of righteousness. He talks about this crown of life. And the last crown that we'll look at that is mentioned in the scriptures is in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5 and verse 4. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. You got to say amen. amen. And it says, and with, when the chief shepherd, being Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. When he appears, 
you receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Question is, do you love his coming? Are you looking forward to that coming? Are you really looking, man, I can't wait to see Jesus. But is that really in your heart? Or is it just like a second thought? Because when you look at the first churches that are written about in here, these churches, they had one hope, and that was Jesus coming. They had one great passion and one thing that they were looking forward to, and that was the coming of Jesus Christ. The reason why we, I bring you through all of these crowns is because all of these crowns deal with, and, you know, and, and I read some of my favorite authors on this, you know, because I'm like trying to get this. You know, this is dealing with these crowns, eternal, imperishable, and they comment on every single crown except the one in the book of Revelation. I was so disappointed. You know why? Because they comment about every one of these other crowns and they say that all of these have to do with our guarantee of salvation. They all have to do with this glory that is going to be revealed at the end of our lives. They all have to be, they all have to do with the end. We're crowned because right now when we come to Jesus, this is what happens. You repent of your sin, you are justified, right? So that means Jesus forgives your sin, wipes it away, gives you a right standing with God, and then the Holy Spirit begins to work in you. He begins to make you more and more like Jesus every day. He sanctifies you. And then at the end of it all, there is a consummation of our salvation, and that is when we see the full glory of God revealed and that is our glorification and every one of these crowns deals with that so you can't comment on the last one because the last one said someone can take it from you it says you can lose it can't comment on that here's what I'm saying I'm not telling you you can, you can lose your salvation or you can't here is what I'm telling you what I'm telling you is Jesus tells this church Hold fast what you have. Continue the way that you're going. Let someone take your crown away. Continue forward, lest you never see the crown that you should be living for. Continue forward doing the things that you're doing, holding fast to my word, not denying my name. Continuing forward in the things that we're supposed to continue on in as Christians. Continuing to fight this good fight. Continuing to persevere as the light in the midst of a world that wants to shut you down and shut you up. Continuing forward to be that. And that way this crown is not taken away. Turn back to the book of Revelation and we'll close here. In the book of Colossians, you can write this scripture down. The book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 18. It gives us the best reference to us losing rewards. And it talks about not letting anyone deceive us with false humility worship of angels, and all of these other things, losing our rewards. You remember when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees around, I believe it's like the book of Matthew chapter 7, and he's talking to them, and he goes through the Beatitudes, and he goes through all of this, and he's communicating in chapter 7. He talks to them about prayer. He talks to them about fasting. He talks about all of their good works, and what does he tell them? He tells them, don't do these things for men, because when you do them for men, your reward is there, and you have no reward in heaven. So what happens is when you are deceived, what you begin to do is you begin to put more emphasis on your works than on the work of Christ. You begin to put more emphasis on what you do and what you have done and what you have accomplished and how God has used you instead of being humbly submitted to the reality that that's all it is. He just used you as a vessel for his glory and honor. You're not caught up in yourself. You're not caught up in the things that you've done. You're caught up in what he did. That's what it means to be a gospel-centered person, caught up in what Jesus has done and what his spirit continues to do in you daily. He closes his exhortation to this church.
In the book of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12 and 13, he says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of, uh, in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God <clears throat> and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so he communicates to them, and this is important to, the, to this church in particular, because one of the things that was an issue in Philadelphia was this church in, in, in this land, this city, was actually subject to great earthquakes. And what happened was this city was destroyed because of earthquakes and rebuilt and destroyed. And then one time it was destroyed, like in 17 BC, I think it was. And when it was destroyed, the people who left the city, they lived on the outskirts and they wouldn't go back into the city because they were afraid of the earthquakes that were going to come. And so when Jesus communicates to them, he says, listen, where you're standing, it may be, it may be shaky. And where you're at, it may not be solid. But if you overcome, where you're going to be, solid for good. I'm going to make you a pillar in the house of the Lord. Because the new Jerusalem, all of that is going to be made up of believers. It's not a building, it's believers. He is building up a house. We are that spiritual house. He's building it up. And he's saying, if you overcome, you're going to be a pillar in the house of the Lord. If you overcome, I'm going to write the new name on you. I'm going to write the name of this new city. I'm going to write my new name on you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you're struggling with identity now? Don't worry about it. Your identity is locked in me. I'm your identity. Identity crisis? No, Jesus is my identity. I'm his. He encourages them. Continue on the way that you are. Continue to fight this fight. Continue to run this race. Overcomers, they become a part of the holy city, of the holy city as pillars, and they are given a full identification. Let us all stand to our feet today. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Jesus, we love you. We humble our hearts before you today. We thank you, God. God, we just worship you. We thank you so much for your grace. I want you to grab your neighbor's hand, please, and I want you to pray for your neighbor. I know there's some people that have some heavy burdens on their heart. And you need prayer, and I want you to be a point of contact right now. The person that may be standing next to you, they may not have an issue. They may just be praying passionately. But there are folks in here that are heavy burdened, and today... If you're a heavy burden, you can leave here right now totally free and liberated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father, we humble our hearts before you today. And God, we thank you so much because we recognize your holiness, Lord God. We recognize that we approach you because you died for us, Jesus. We recognize that we are able to come into your presence because of what you did for us, God. And Lord, right now, I pray for those in here that are heavy laden, my God. 
I pray for those that are burdened, that are worried, Lord God, that are concerned, that are overwhelmed with life, that are overwhelmed with circumstances, that are overwhelmed with situations, my God. I come before you on behalf of them, my God. And I pray today, Lord, that they would find renewed strength right now, Lord. Father God, that they would be filled with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord God, that they would be overwhelmed by the revelation of your love, my God. Father, that they would know the power of your Holy Spirit in a fresh and new way today, dear God. Father, I rebuke the plans of the enemy to discourage, Lord, to hinder, Father God, to interfere with your work in their lives, God. I pray in the name of Jesus that your grace, Lord, would abound in them and that your glory would overwhelm each and every one of us, Lord God. Father, that we would continue to hold fast your word, that we would continue to hold fast your name that we will continue to grow in your grace God Father we need your presence we need your spirit and God I ask you Lord to help us as a church oh God help us as a church to remember that you are the one who holds the keys of David you are the one who is open and no man can shut are the one who has given us opportunity for ministry, God. Today, Lord, today we honor you. You alone are in control of all things. And so, God, we reverence your name in this place. We say thank you today. Thank you for your grace, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, give God a hand of praise, please.